Aren't you thankful for the power of God's amazing love? Amen. Amen. It's great to be together and to spend time uh, lifting up our praise in the presence of our great God and King and to, and to open up his word together. And, and I trust that you'll be encouraged by God's word this morning and that I won't get in the way of that. Lost. How many of you have ever been lost before? Hey, it was good to see some guys' hands go up there. Yeah, guys don't like to admit that, do we? Yeah, um, yeah, maybe lost, uh, you know, you go to a new airport, you're not sure where you're supposed to go, or driving, yeah, guys never want to ask, we've never really been lost driving, we're just not quite there yet, right? Um, anybody been lost in the woods before? You know, you go out for a little hike, and all of a sudden that hike turns into a, a forest full of, I don't know where I'm going now. Uh, it happens to us. Um, this past fall, uh, our family um, kind of uh, re-inaugurated a little bit of uh, a lost journey with that TV show. How many of you watched that TV show, Lost? You know what I'm talking about? You know, the, uh, the story about uh, this, the oceanic uh, airline plane crash, uh, crashes in the middle of the ocean uh, on a beach, and uh, there's these strangers all around, and um, fairly early in the show, um, the, the doctor who turns out to be the, to the leader, you know, he's got kind of that that chiseled jaw and great voice and lots of masculinity and, uh, and he calls the group together about six days in. You know, people have died and people are dying and disappearing. And he looks across the group and, and he challenges them. He says, it's been six days, six days, and we're waiting for people to come and rescue us. Well, it's time to stop waiting because maybe they're never going to be able to find us. Let's think about what happens if they don't come. We've got to do something different. We've got to get organized. Every man for himself is not going to work. And he continues to challenge this group to think about what they're going to need to do to survive on this island. And then he says to the group, last week, most of us were strangers. But we're all here now. And who knows how long we're going to be here. And then he says this great line. If we can't live together, we're going to die alone. That's the line. If we can't live together, we're going to die alone. And uh, a great moment uh, of him challenging this group. And I wonder how many of us in our spiritual journey find ourselves in that place where we feel like we're a little bit lost. We look around at the groups around us, even the people here this morning, and we kind of feel like, wow, I feel like I'm a stranger amongst strangers. Well, God's word has something to say to us about that lost feeling. I'm going to invite you to uh, stand together, and let's, we're going to be studying Hebrews 10. Uh, we've got it on the screen here, but if you want to turn to it, we're going to read this together. Let's stand and read Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. This is God's word, so let's, uh, let's read this together and see what God has in store for us. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and deeds, not giving up meeting together, 
as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Father, this is your word. Father, I pray that you will lead and direct our hearts as we consider the power of your love and how your word spurs us on. Lord, thank you for the time that we, uh, that we get to spend together in your presence and studying your word. Lord, I pray that I would not get in the way and that, uh, that you would allow us to take away this morning from this scripture passage all that you would want us to hear by your Holy Spirit. I ask this all in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, here's my five-minute sermon. Don't tell Pastor Rick. Are you ready? I have another sermon after the five-minute one, but... Here's the five-minute sermon. When you look at this, this scripture passage here that we just read together, it's on the screen, I want, first of all, you, for you to notice that there are three two-word statements. Let us. Let us. It appears three times in the passage. And then there's a series of commands that come after that. Three times, the writer to the Hebrews here says, let us. The first thing that I want you to notice is it says, let us draw near. I want you to lean into somebody beside you and say, draw near. Come on, lean in, draw near. All right, first point. That's it. Let us, let us draw near. First one. The next statement, let us, says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. I want you to grab somebody, you know, a good grip, grab somebody's hand beside you and say, hold on, brother, hold on, sister. Come on, hold on. That's it. Very good. Good, strong grip there. All right. So first one, let us draw near. Second one, let us hold on. Third statement of the let us, let us spur each other on. High five somebody beside you and say, I'm spurring you on, brother. Spurring you on. There we go. So let us draw near, let us hold on, and let us spur on. And then there's three more words that I want us to look at this morning that are embedded in this passage. And it's three words that often go together in the New Testament. It's a triad, a group of three. Since I'm the worship pastor, I can talk for a moment about a triad. It's something that we use a lot in music. It's a group of three notes that have an important function. And the first note, the first word is faith. Let us draw near with full assurance of faith. Second note of the triad, the second word is hope. Faith, hope. So you see, let us, second statement, hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. Faith, hope. What's the last one? Love. We've heard that before, right? Faith, hope, and love. First Corinthians, it's in there. It's in other passages. Faith, hope, and love. Let us spur each other on towards love and good deeds. There's the sermon. Sermon number one. Four minutes, right, Brett? Were you timing me? Okay, so here's sermon number two. But that's what we're going to unpack is, is what's around those three statements of let us draw near, let us hold on to hope, let us spur each other on in faith, hope, and love. Let's talk a little bit about the first one draw near. I asked this question to the, uh, to the first congregation this morning. Um, you know how we have that thing as human beings where we're attracted to celebrities? Like, it's kind of cool if we can say, I know so-and-so. Or if I said, you know, if I said, so-and-so is coming to church this morning. Uh, like, who is it that you just love to meet this morning? What's a celebrity? Somebody famous that you would just love. Somebody this morning said George Clooney. 
Phil, Phil Robertson. Okay, Duck Dynasty. It comes from uh, Kellen. All right. What's another, another famous person you would just love to meet? Mayada. Okay, there we go. Peyton Man. So lo there's lots of, lots of people that, yeah, now we're going to get some commentary on the celebrities, right? Um, uh, but that's kind of what we're like, you know? Uh, we have this thing where we want to draw near to celebrities. Outside of Hiram Joseph, I just don't tend to have many celebrity friends. Like he's, that's, that's it, brother, you know? Uh, it, now, some of you just kind of hobnob with the right people, but that's just the way it's been in my life. I just don't know that many, many famous people. There was one time, though, it was back in the late 90s, that I was on a flight with some colleagues, and we heard that the Leafs were going to be on our plane. We thought, hey, that'd be kind of cool to meet some of the Leafs. Now, I know that some of you, based on the way the Leafs are playing, would not consider any of them to be celebrities right now. And Pastor Rick didn't write that in my notes, I don't think. But, uh, but anyways, on this flight a while ago, we heard that the Leafs were going to be there. And I thought, hey, that'd be kind of cool. So I get on the flight, and I'm coming to, uh, to my seat. I wasn't able to sit with my colleagues, so just my assigned seat. And there, sitting on the seat where I'm going to sit beside, is Ty Domi from the Leafs. Okay? And I'm thinking, okay, I can live with that. Now, if, if you're not a Leafs fan and you don't know, Ty, you know, Ty's really known as kind of one of those enforcers in the game. I think he holds the record with the Leafs in penalty minutes, and I think he's two, number two or number three with the league. Um, there's Ty Domi, yeah. So this is, this is my celebrity now, you know, and I'm thinking, hey, this is going to be pretty cool. You know, Ty and I are going to have a little, you know, conversation on the plane, you know. He's going to pop me a couple tickets for the game in Denver, I'm sure, some great seats, you know, we're going to have coffee. He's going to invite me up to his cottage back in Muskoka, you know. I'm thinking this is how it's going to go. Well, the first thing that I notice is he's really grumpy. Like, he's really not in a good mood, and he was upset that some of the rookies on the team had better seats than him. So as I settled into my flight, I realized that this was not the time to talk to Ty. And then he fell asleep, and he slept the whole flight. The whole flight, he's asleep. And then finally, we're approaching Denver, and he wakes up. I'm thinking, okay, well, this is the time now. I'm going to get a chance to really strike up a friendship with Ty Domi. And he turns to me, and he says, ever been to Denver before? That's not his voice, but I don't know. Um, and I said, uh, yeah, I've been to Denver before. And then he says to me, you know, the people in Denver are really ugly. Now, you, kn you know what was going through my mind. You know what I was thinking. And of course, as I looked at the scars on his hands and the cuts on his face, I realized if I really said what I wanted to say, I'd be in trouble. But what I wanted to say was, buddy, have you looked in the mirror? <laughs> and that's it for celebrities. That's all I got. That's the only celebrity story I have. I just don't get to hang out with celebrities. However, that passage that we just read God invites us, he calls us to draw near to him. You know, for a moment when we're talking about celebrities and, and you were thinking about, oh yeah, it'd be great to meet so-and-so, you know, some royalty, Andrew and Kate, or whoever, an athlete or a Hollywood star, whatever was in your mind. How many of us this morning as we were getting ready to come together to meet together were really thinking about the amazing opportunity we have to meet together with God? Right? We're off, wait a second, God, yeah, but God's holy, and I'm just, and I'm sinful, I, you know, I can't really draw near. And yet, as we read that scripture passage this morning, it calls us to draw near to God. So let's start to unpack that for a minute. The first thing it called us to do is to draw near with a sincere heart. 
Draw near with a sincere heart. Let's look at that for a moment. I want us to, to consider a couple other scripture passages that talk about how we need to approach God. Matthew 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Deuteronomy 4, 29. Another passage that speaks about how we approach God. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. And then Jeremiah 29, verse 13, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. That first encouragement to us, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. The core idea around that is that we've got to come to God with true and genuine motives. That's what that idea of sincere means. It means true, dependable, honorable, and with full commitment. With full commitment. That's how we get to approach God. Remember in the triad we started to talk about? The three notes, faith, hope, and love. It says, draw near to God with full assurance of faith. I want you to think about faith for a minute. We exercise faith all the time in our lives. How many of you, when you um, made your coffee this morning, you had a drink of water, had your water tested before you, before you drank it to make sure it was safe? Anybody do that? Of course not. We just, we assumed it was safe, right? We put our faith in the object of our water and said, it's safe. From our experience, we believe that our water, that object is safe. What about all the food you ate this Christmas and this new year? How many of you had it tested, made sure it was going to be all okay? We, we put our faith in objects very regularly, all the time. We got in the car and we turned the car on and we believed that the car would start and, and that gasoline in the car wouldn't burst into flames. We believed that that car would work properly. We put faith in objects all the time. I was thinking about times when I've kind of blown it in, in, in the faith department in different areas of, of life. And uh, my kids asked specifically that I wouldn't tell any stories that would embarrass them. So I said, okay, well, I'll tell some stories that will embarrass me. And uh, I thought about one story when Ben was just a little guy. My, my son, he's not a little guy anymore. He's as tall as I am. And, uh, but he was a little guy once. And when he was pretty young, I took him to a creek. I, I love to fish. And this was in the spring. The trout were running. And there was a creek close to our house. I took him to And I thought, I'm going to introduce Ben to some creek fishing. And uh, it was a, you know, we, I put my hip waders on. I had my fishing vest and my fishing pole. And Ben had his fishing rod and his rubber boots. And we went traipsing through the mud in the forest. And we got to the creek. And we spent some time, had a great morning fishing, but then on one of my casts, as I, as I was casting, the little fly that I had made, which cost me like all of 40 cents to make, got caught in a branch across the creek. And of course, in typical guy fashion, that wasn't good enough for me just to break my line and lose my fly. I said to Ben, Ben, I'm going to go get that fly. So I left my son. Now I could still see him. Um, and I just walked up the stream a little bit, crossed the stream and the creek in a safe place, and then I came to this branch that was overhanging the creek, at the end of which was my fly, 40 cents worth, and I said, I can get that fly. And so I reached out to get that fly. It's too far. And then I thought, well, you know what? This branch feels pretty good. I was a little lighter than I was, than I am now. And so I went out and, on the branch, went out on the limb, Still couldn't quite reach it. Oh, I'll, I'll distribute my weight a little bit more across this branch, and I'll get my fly. 
I put faith in the branch that the branch would hold my weight. And what happened? My faith was misplaced. And I went in the creek. The, the branch broke. And there's my son looking at his dad, the hero. Right, Ben? Uh, right into the creek, completely soaking wet, head to toe. It was a deep little pool. I, it wasn't, I was fine. I could stand up. But I was soaked. My hip waders were full of water. And I'm sloshing up to the creek. I had my fly, though. <laughs> I had to fly, always good, and, uh, and then, of course, we had to do the embarrassing walk back to the car in front of all kinds of people with Dad soaking wet. My faith was placed in an object that didn't, that didn't withstand. My faith was misplaced. We do that sometimes, I think, in our walk with the Lord, right? I want you to think of something else for a moment. Not just the object of our faith, but the source of our faith. Let me tell you about another little story. Um, this time was about Katie. Uh, I think Katie was maybe around eight or so. And there was this place um, that we used to love to go camping up at, up at Sauble Beach, Sauble Falls, just off Lake, Lake Huron. Beautiful area. Spent lots of great time there as family and with friends. Uh, but there's this one place where the Sauble River um, flows into Lake Huron and it drops. And there's, a, there's rapids and there's a waterfall. And for several years, we had taken the kids up there, and the adults had jumped off the falls. Great experience, lots of fun. And so there was this one time that I thought it would be cool, and I can't remember if Katie asked me to do this, or this is just, hey, Katie, come on. And I thought it'd be cool for Katie to experience the thrill of jumping off a ledge and landing in a pool of water. Now, I had done that many times. That morning, there were people jumping off the falls. All was good. Katie, I grabbed her arm, and we jumped off the falls, and I landed on a rock. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's like, um, okay, um, what happened there? See, I had put my faith in my experience and in the experience of others. I jumped off that waterfall many times, but perhaps not jumped off in that specific place, or maybe I didn't jump out as far that time, I don't know, but I had put my faith in my experience that was flawed. Even though lots of good things had happened in the past, it was flawed. What does scripture say about faith? Let's look at a couple passages. I'm gonna take you to Ephesians 2, uh, chapter two, verse eight, and a few other passages. Let's, let's think for a moment about faith. For it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Ephesians 2 verse 8. Let's look at Titus chapter 3 verses 4 and 7. These are on the screen for you. But when the kindness and love of, our God, of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of the righteousness that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Praise God, whom he poured out to us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Another couple passages, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. And then 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. 
See, the kind of faith that we normally have in our day-to-day activities is a total different kind of faith than what God is talking about here. As the writer to the Hebrews is saying, you can draw near to God with a sincere heart, pure motives, full commitment, and the full assurance that faith brings. This is a faith from God, not faith from ourselves. God gives it to us and gives us the ability to act on that faith. I want to just kind of set up the context of this passage that we're, that we're studying this morning. This is, a call to, this is a letter to the Hebrews. So there was a Jewish community that the author was writing to. And within this community, there was a group of believers, just like there's a group of believers here today. But this group of believers, for many of them, they were still caught in some of the rituals and practices of the law. The traditions that they had been taught and had done for many, many years that that they thought would bring them into a limited component of God's presence. And so the writer is giving them some, some practical things for them to remember about the saving faith that they have through the Lord Jesus Christ. But also in that community, when you study the book of Hebrews, you also find out that within that community, there wasn't just believers, but there were people who had an intellectual knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They knew who Jesus was and what he claimed, but they hadn't taken a step of faithing, uh, saving faith to fully commit to it in their lives. There was also another group of people within that community who weren't even sure about the claims of Christ. It wasn't even kind of, there was some interest there, but that was about it. I wonder this morning when we have come together in this room where we fit in that same kind of thought process. Are we fully surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ with saving faith? Or is it just something that we believe intellectually, but it hasn't really resonated in our, in our lives through a saving faith? Or are we just kind of interested? We like hanging around with some of these Calvary people. We like who Jesus claims he is, but I'm not really sure that I want to give my life to him. Well, these are some of the challenges that, of course, we're given to, that we're given here in Scripture. I want to just quickly take you to just make sure that you all understand that these verses that we're looking at here in Hebrews 10 come from a context. Look at the, the first couple of verses that we read. In verse 19 of chapter 10, the first word is, therefore, brothers and sisters, and then the next word is, since. The therefore is therefore a reason. It's he's summarizing and relating to the previous arguments that he has just been making. And he summarizes those arguments with these words. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, a new and living way. Let's talk about the holy place for a minute. Again, for the context of of these Jewish believers and these people that were interested in the claims of Christ who were Jewish, they were familiar with the rituals that had been established for them in the tradition of being a Hebrew. And part of that meant a, a sacrificial system of worship that was set up with the tabernacle and the temple and those things. And within that, as you look at scripture, you find that there were some very specific limitations that the people had to draw near to God. You see, there was a place in the tabernacle where the the priests could do their normal kind of um, uh, religious duties and, and, and responsibilities for the people. But there was one place that was separated by a curtain, the most holy place, the holy of holies, where they were only able to enter once a year. 
And once a year they were allowed as priests to go in there, the high priest was allowed to go in there and offer a sacrifice on behalf of himself and the people for the sins that they had committed in ignorance. That was how they were able to access God. It was limited. But remember, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, what happened to the curtain that was in the temple? It was torn. It was torn in two. And it was torn from the top to the bottom. If a man got in there or a woman got in there and tore the curtain from the bottom, you could get it from the bottom, right? But to tear it from the top to the bottom was an act that God did to say that this barrier to my presence is now gone because of the work and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to consider in, in verses 19 and 20 that we're studying here right now, if we had more time, I'd take you through some scripture passages in chapter 9 and chapter 10 and chapter 4 that really um, summarize the argument that he is the author's been making here in the book of Hebrews. But he summarizes it up again to say, look, we can have confidence to enter God's presence, the holy of holies, because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And in verse 20, it says, by a new and a living way. That word new actually is only used this one time in the New Testament. And what it means is freshly slaughtered. That's the new that it's talking about. That word means freshly slaughtered by a new and a living way. Well, wait a second. Does that make sense? Freshly slaughtered is dead, isn't it? And living way. So what does that mean? Well, of course, Jesus Christ died on the cross so that we could have forgiveness of sins. He becomes the great high priest who draws us into the presence of God because of his sacrifice. But Jesus didn't die, he rose again, and now the scripture tells us he's seated at the right hand of God, ushering us as believers into God's presence. What an amazing truth. Jesus Christ is our high priest. Verse 21, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, then we can draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. I want to talk just for a minute about saving faith, drawing near to God with full assurance of faith. It's so critical, folks, that we understand where we stand before the Lord. And Scripture tells us we can know that we are saved. A sincere heart is required, as we were just looking at this passage a sincere heart is required in our faith. We also need to make sure that we embrace and we understand the truth of the gospel. Jesus Christ himself said, John 14, 16, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We need to understand that kind of truth and embrace it fully in our hearts. And then we need to commit to that. You see, I can't say with words, Jesus is my savior, if it means nothing in my life. I can't say, I can't profess, Jesus is my Lord, if he's not. It's a false commitment. It's a false profession. You see, saving faith is with pure motives from the heart, fully committed to the things that we profess to be true. I want to take you to just a one passage earlier in Hebrews. Turn to Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, because again, I think it really summarizes the arguments that the uh, author has given to us, that he then gives us encouragement 
to draw near. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet, he did not sin. Verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may find mercy and may find grace to help us in our time of year, time of need. That's the kind of high priest that we have. That's the reason we're allowed to enter God's heaven. That's how we're able to enter his presence is through the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The new, freshly slaughtered, and living way. Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of God the Father, ushering us in to God's presence. So as we think about drawing near with a sincere heart and with saving faith, it means something very significant to the believer. It means that I get to come into God's presence not because of my behavior, not because of what I've done, not because of who I am, my character, or my effort. It also means that I can come into presence despite all of those things, despite my sin, despite my guilt, because God washes that clean. He doesn't see it anymore because of the work of Jesus Christ. If we have confessed and repented of our sins and embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior with saving faith. What a powerful thing for the believer. And listen, folks, if there's some of you that are here today as I've, been, as I've been speaking the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're like kind of like one of those Jewish people that were in the community, maybe you believe this stuff in your head, but it hasn't been acted out in your life. You actually haven't embraced it as saving faith. As a team here, as a congregation, we would like nothing better to pray with you and to, and to allow you the opportunity to fully embrace the saving faith that you can find through the Lord Jesus Christ. We encourage you to do that this morning. There'll be time for, for you to meet with us at the end of the service. We would like nothing more. But for the believer, this means something very powerful. We have full access, full access to God's presence. It's available to every believer because of the new and living way of the Lord Jesus Christ. Powerful thing for us. Let's go on to the second point. Draw near to God with full assurance of faith. Next one, grip. You with me still? Hold on. Draw near, hold on. Hold on. I want to talk for a moment about hope. You know, when I think of the word hope, um, uh, it means different things, I think, to different people. I think for many of us, when we use the word hope, we've got some students, some high school students, some of you are coming up uh, to your exam time, and if I said to you, hey, uh, how are you going to do in your exam? Some of you might say, I hope I'm going to do great. I hope I'm going to get a great mark. And some of you may say hope in a way that you're really thinking, it's wishful thinking, let's face it. I mean, you haven't been to that many classes, you haven't studied your notes, you haven't gone through the stuff that your teacher wants to, but you hope you're going to get a good mark, right? I could say to Brett, Brett, Monday night, could you come over and shovel my driveway? And he might say, wishful thinking, buddy. I hope, Brett, I hope you would do that. I hope you would do that. But really, I'm, I, I can't really ask Brett to do that. So I want us for a moment to think about what does God actually mean when it comes to hope. Let's look at a couple um, passages together. Deuteronomy 7 verse 9. We'll look at a couple Old Testament and then something from the New Testament. And I'm going to suggest to you that the kind of hope that God is talking about is rooted in the fact 
that God is faithful. We can have hope because God is faithful. Let's look at Deuteronomy 7 verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4. He is the rock. His works are perfect and his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. And in the New Testament, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, a powerful passage for us to claim as believers, no temptation, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So when we think about hope, we have reason to hope because, it's not wishful thinking, but because we know that God is faithful. That means it's part of his character. It's part of who he is. Just like God is loving and kind and just, God is also faithful. And that means something to us. He's faithful in his character. It's who he is. And because it's part of his character, it means that what he says is true. His promises are true. There's another reason I think that we can take hope in God, and that is because God will do his part. Let's look at a couple of scripture passages again. These are in the New Testament. Matthew 16, verse 18. And Jesus is speaking, and he says, And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, and we learned this passage last semester when we were talking in our discipleship groups, I will build my church. The work is his. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. First, uh, First Corinthians 10, 13, we just, we just read that. But note in that verse, it says, when you are tempted, he will provide a way out. When we're going through temptation, God, first of all, says, I'm not going to give you something that you can't bear. And when you do go through that, I will provide a way out, a promise of God. He will do his work. Another passage, 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10. The Apostle Paul reflects on this and he says, but, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest upon me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen? 1 Thessalonians 5, may God himself, the God of peace, this is what God's going to do for the believer, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and what? He will do it. God is the one who sanctifies us. Because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, he puts us in a position where he sees our sin no more. And then by the power and the work of the Holy Spirit, he transforms us to be the kind of holy people. That's not who we are naturally, but that's the work that God says he will do. So we can have a confidence in that. One more passage, 1 John 5, 4 to 5. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So you see, we can have hope because God is faithful. It's part of his character. 
His word is true. His promises are true. We can also have faith because God will do his work. He will do his part. The, the, the body of Jesus Christ, the kingdom work, is his work. His work. We are his people. I want to just read a quote from John Piper in a sermon that he did entitled, Battling Unbelief Together. I want you to remember when we started looking at this passage, we looked at three statements. Let, not me. Why didn't the author say, let me, or why don't you? No, he said, let us draw together. Let us hold on to hope. Piper says this, belief that glorifies God's is future-oriented. It's banking on the promises of God. All the promises of God were purchased for believing saints by an act that happened in the past. That is the death and resurrection of Jesus. But God-glorifying belief doesn't merely stare at those facts. It stands on them, and then it looks forward to all the promises that Jesus has brought to us and banks its hope on those promises and moves out in a life of faith. For you see, faith is future-oriented. It's, help, it's heartfelt hope in the promises of God. Look, did you come this morning frustrated, tired, discouraged, broken? I know some of you did because I've talked to some of you this morning, this week. Some of you have gone through things that you feel are hopeless. You're at the end of your strength. You don't know where to turn. Let me encourage you with some passages. It's so critical that the believer holds on. Consider this from Matthew 24. Jesus says, Matthew 24, 13, that the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus again says, If you hold on to my teachings, you are really my disciples. For the truth, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Earlier in the book of Hebrews is a, a really wonderful statement in, in verse 19 where it says, we have this hope, that is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. An anchor for, you know, an anchor is that symbol of security. It's that thing we throw down in the sea. I remember um, reading the blog of Jen's brother when, uh, when that team was rowing across the ocean, you know, and they had these sea anchors that they could throw out uh, for stability in the storm to get them through these crazy, crazy storms and huge waves. Our anchor is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that is firm, that we link our lives to, regardless of the environment, regardless of the life stuff that's tough and horrible, and we don't know where to turn. We have the anchor of the Lord Jesus Christ. So take a moment and think, what is my anchor? And all the stuff that I'm going through and my insecurity and my failures and the tough stuff of life, what's my anchor? Is it yourself? Is it wishful thinking? Or is it the anchor of the Lord Jesus Christ? What this means to us is if we are believers, there's no such thing as hopeless believers. There's no hopeless believers. For if our trust is genuine... It results in unwavering hope. We hold fast. I mentioned a moment ago that, that we're, this sermon is built on observing the fact that there are these three statements of let us. Can I have faith on my own? Yeah, I can believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I can make that decision alone. But it's often in the context of believers where that faith is built up. 
and where unbelief is battle. Let us draw near to God. Let us, let us hold on to hope. Third statement, let us spur each other on. Remember the high five? Let us spur each other on to what? To love. I want you to think about this for a moment. Um, look in the passage, uh, the last part of this passage, verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur each other on. The word consider there is not, is not a light word. It really means, I want you to deeply think about this. I want you to deeply think about this. It's not the kind of thing where someone just says, asks you to do something, you say, yeah, okay, I'll consider it. And really what you're saying is no in a polite way. You know the Canadian no? Sure, Calvin, I'll consider that. We do that all the time, right? Hoping that the person will forget that they've asked us to do something and mom says, would you clean up your room? I'll consider it. Well, that actually doesn't usually fly too well, does it? Because uh, mom usually gets to make sure that the room is clean. But you know what I'm saying? Often we think of the word consider differently than what's, how it's used here. It means, I want you to seriously think about this. Let us consider how we may spur each other on. Spur each other on. How many of you have the gift of provoking? I see some wives elbowing their husbands there. Uh, you know what? I mean? Well, that's the idea of spurring. Think of spurring a horse. You're provoking that horse to action. That's what it means. But it's provoking in a good way. Usually we think of provoke in the negative way, right? Somebody provokes me and it irritates me. Well, the irritation is intended for a positive motion. The horse is being irritated slightly to move that direction, the direction you want it as the rider to go. That's the idea here, is that we are supposed to provoke each other. We're supposed to provoke each other in a positive way. That's the idea of this let us. Let us spur each other on to love and to good works. That's the idea here. Let's look at a few passages that support this idea as well. John 15, verses 12 and 13 and then 17. Jesus says this, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. This is my command. Love each other. Hebrews 3.13. But encourage one another how often? Once a month when I feel like it. But encourage one another daily. Yeah. As long as it's called today. So that none of you may be hardened. That's the purpose of the encouragement. It's not just to make us feel good. So that none of you will be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. 1 Peter 4.8, above all, love each other. How? Deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. 1 John 4.10, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. What does this mean for us as a community here at Calvary? We need each other to thrive. Some of you are out there struggling alone. You know, are we talking about the image of that lost TV show? Jack Shepard standing amongst on the beach saying, you're going to die alone. Well, as believers, we're going to struggle alone or we can embrace God's word and we can thrive together to love each other and to experience love to encourage each other and be encouraged, to serve and to be served. 
The body is the best place, the best place for us to grow deeper in our faith. It's the best place for us to combat unbelief. When we're struggling in our faith, to sit down with other believers and study God's word and be encouraged and to grow in the faith, to combat unbelief, to build hope, to pray for each other and to pray with other believers, to exhort each other and correct each other and care for each other and to experience God's presence in community. You know, when you came here this morning, many of you came here because it's been something that's been been important and valuable, and thank God for that. Just like the experience of sacrifices in the law was important and valuable. But even back in the Old Testament, God just didn't want rituals. He didn't want the sacrifices. He wanted lives of faith. He wanted lives of faith built on sincere hearts and full commitment. He wanted people that fully embraced the hope and believed in the promises of God that he was faithful and that he was true and that his work would continue to be accomplished. And then that they would be built up in the power of his love, like we were just singing about. The power of his love is changing me. So today as we go home, I want us to really think about where do I stand in each one of those? Let us draw near... with a sincere heart and saving faith. That means something. We've got full access to God's presence. We can get rid of our sin and get rid of our guilt and put it at the feet of cross and allow the blood of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that we find there with true repentance and saving faith to cleanse us and to make us holy, to allow us to be able to enter God's presence and then to continue to experience his transforming power in our lives to be sanctified, holy. So our response this morning, when we think about drawing near, do we need to respond to God in saving faith? Again, maybe some of you are here this morning and you've never had the opportunity to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of our leaders will be here afterwards. Come and pray with us. We'd love love to pray with you. And we would love for you to enter a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ in a personal way, as your Lord and as your Savior. Maybe you've done that but you're carrying on the baggage of sin. We're going to be gathering together, encouraged to come back. It's important that we come back and we celebrate the Lord's table together. But we need to confess and repent of sins. That's what the work of the cross is as as believers. Why do we hold on to our sin? Because then it's our guilt and our sin that keeps us from, from full access to God's presence. Opportunity for us to respond. What about hope? There's no hopeless believers. There should be no hopeless believers. There's an opportunity for us to hold on to God for he is faithful. To hold on to his promises. And just like that grip, to hold on with each other. To be encouraged with each other. And to spur each other on in love. There are no loners in God's plan. I think a lot of times we just feel, again, kind of like that beach analogy. We're sitting here on the beach. There's a plane wreck of life behind us. And we look at all these people here. And we feel like we're strangers with a bunch of strangers. That's not God's plan. We're to spur each other on in love. So the response that we're called to there is to get in community. And if you're not in community, this is an opportunity again as we kick off a new year, get plugged into, into one of our discipleship groups. There's info how to, how to do that. It's so important that we are in community with each other where we encourage each other and we, and we build each other up in the faith and we spur each other on to love. 
When Jack Shepard was giving that closing statement to the group, I wonder how it might apply to us this morning. We look around and maybe we see a bunch of strangers. God knows how long we're going to be here. I don't know when Christ is coming back. God knows. But until he does, we have a decision to make. We're either going to thrive together or we're going to struggle alone. That's really the opportunity that this passage allows us to embrace, to draw near to God with full assurance of faith, to hold fast, to hold unswerving onto the hope that we have in, in our great God and King, and to spur each other on in community. Thrive together. I'm going to invite our team to come up and lead us in, in a song that just um, helps us to remember this great work of Christ, that he is our Savior, that we give our lives to worship and to serve him, I pray this morning that this song will be sung from your experience. At the end of the song, I'll close with a benediction, but again, I would encourage you to come and, and speak with one of our leadership team. If, if you have not made that personal step of saving faith, or if you've made that saving faith, but, but uh, there are things that, that you need to confess and talk about. If some of you are struggling in, in hope, we're here to help. The community is here. Your leadership team is here to help. Come, we'd love to pray with you tonight get plugged into a, uh, into a community group. Jordan. And because he's our savior, no one should be struggling alone. Instead, we should be thriving together. If he's not your savior, come and speak with us today. We'd love to introduce you in a personal way to the Lord Jesus Christ. To him who is able, the Lord Jesus Christ, to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glory without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, power and authority, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you.